Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, your host, the gatekeeper to the realm of the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable, New England's own Van Helsing. And with me, yes, with me, all the way across the pond, really, is the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Steve Parsons. Well, at least you remembered my name. That's a start. Good you know, I, I, sh- I, I can't wait till the day I can call you Dr. Steve Parsons. Keep waiting. <laughs> it's not going to happen soon. What, what do you mean? Cal's got all over you. You I should know, I know. no time at all. Yeah. I, I'm going to have to disabuse him of that term. Besides which, we're, Cal and I are busy on our uh, just started work on our next book. Really? Yeah. We're going to keep yeah. up with you. Yeah. So, I mean, Cal, who's writing the book? You and well, then we both Cal, Cal. Well, you're going to write it, and then Cal will just put his name on it, right? Isn't that how it works? <laughs> Not quite how it works, no. <laughs> I, I thought that's the way it worked. I'm sorry. No, I'm not Zach. I don't ghostwrite my books. No, well, you go ghostwrite cow's boxes. <laughs> that's not true. Hey, we uh, we have a guest. So let's move on to our guest. Oh, you, you get a little sticky subject there, was it? It was a little annoying. No, it, no, was, it's just uh, I've been rehearsing our guest's name for the last hour to make sure I can say it correctly. After all the shenanigans last time, I yeah. noticed even our producer got it wrong earlier. Um, he's been on the show before. He is the author of, which brings the first question, he is the author of the history, a brief history of nearly everything paranormal. And I'm, with both fingers crossed, I'm going to introduce Terry Simonson. Hello, Steve. I'm here. Did I, did I get wait. it right? Yeah, quite, quite, quite right. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Terrier. Yes, beautiful. Ha! Ouch. That'll be the last time I get it. <laughs> be the only time tonight. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, during the introduction, um, where yes. I mentioned the the title of the book, I'm not talking to you now, Ron. Oh, sorry. Um, it's it's a history of nearly everything paranormal, except me. Yes. Except yeah, and I want to know what's missing and why is it missing from the book good point (laughs) well you know uh the book is 540 pages so uh it's already about double length of a normal say standard book uh, typical so so i felt i had to put in the limit somewhere and what is missing is really or not totally missing but you know lacking to to some degree or to to and uh, to a shame shameful degree is uh, your expertise really uh, on ghosts and that kind of stuff uh, my focus is uh, rather on psi phenomena like telepathy uh, clairvoyance precognition healing uh, psychokinesis and poltergeist and yeah that kind of things that are say more directly linked to our own consciousness and not say um, 
outer agent, not not ghosts, ETs, uh, not uh, kind of UFOs and, and, and that stuff. It's not that I am in denial of these things at all. But as I said, after 540 pages, I had to <laughs> put the limit someplace. So. Yeah, but the question, the question, well, no, 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 no. the question serves then. Are you saying that ghosts and UFOs are not paranormal? Uh, well, uh, there is this uh, nearly uh, in the title. So, uh, as I said uh, last time, I think it's also a little hint to Bill Bryson, who wrote a book about natural science, uh, which is called A Short History of Nearly Everything. And I wanted to somehow do the same as Bryson had did for uh, had, had done for, for this uh, natural science I wanted to do for paranormal science. So I somehow, uh, you know, alluded to his title and uh, therefore also could open up for this excuse <laughs> with that title, you know. So, but I'm I'm really interested in ghosts and ETs and UFOs and all that. As I said, it's, it's more of a practical. You have to 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 put the limit somewhere. Oh, I I agree. But you did include um, in your uh, run through of uh, what you 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 listed labeled yes. under Psi, You included poltergeists. Now there I is did. there is a lot um, a big movement within the paranormal community now to look at poltergeists and hauntings um, apparitional experiences as mm. being on a continuum with mm-hmm. with similarities between one another Absolutely. Where, where are you uh, how are you defining poltergeists as psi uh, mm. only um, <laughs> very an excellent question, which of course it's nearly impossible to answer. But what what is observed uh, quite often really is that uh, poltergeists tend to appear. I will say tend to appear, not by law, but uh, by by say by statistical law, tend to appear where there are conflicted persons, especially conflicted teenagers present in the house. And if that teenagers say go on vacation or, or or say move away from the house, the poltergeists tend to disappear for that period and they tend to reappear when the teenager typically is back again. So that is a, for me, is a strong indication. It does not, of course, exclude ghosts, spirits, aliens or anything of that. But if you can say every summer when that teen is, uh, teenager is on vacation, the poltergeist uh, is also on vacation, you know, it's uh, reasonable to see a connection there. It's a well- Possibly, but there are there are. Uh, I I notice you use the word tend to. Yes. But but there are. I would suggest possibly the majority of poltergeist cases exhibit um, phenomena when the apparent focus or foci is missing. That was the case with Enfield. That was the case with mm. South Shields. That was the case with um, the Runcorn poltergeist. And this is what's led to these questions and this assumption, uh, which I think stems from, is it uh, Bill Roll or Daryl Bem, who who came up with this hypothesis, which has been re- uh, re- universally adopted and repeated, mm-hmm. that you have to have a prepubescent or adolescent um, teen angst or, or some other social stress or present um, when actually the evidence just doesn't stack up to um, to support that or the majority of the evidence doesn't stack up to support that and we, well, we do see within parapsychology a rush towards easy explanation 
Mm. Of course, there is. Uh, I, I can only say, uh, I, as I say, I'm, I, I'm, you know, people tend to be dogmatic about things. I'm open to there can be a say a great overlap between the two. Uh, you know, these Venn diagrams. You know, the the intersection mm -hmm. between uh, these um, uh, say explanatory models. Uh, of course, uh, but uh, say uh, the one big poltergeist case I uh, describe in my book was in a kindergarten, and it was really. Uh, I would not say extreme, but very substantial effects, mm -hmm. you know, heavy objects flying through the air. And uh, it also, uh, but th then we have kindergarten again. Uh, it does not need to be a teenager. Here, it probably it was some of the children, at least uh, following that explanatory model, I, I, I say, focus mm -hmm. on here. Uh, and these phenomena were observed by also by the personnel in the kindergarten, uh, up to 15 to 20 uh, of the persons, grown-up persons working there, also observed these uh, quite, uh, you know, also cranes writing by no human ha hand and uh, really complex and a very interesting, intriguing phenomena. And these uh, phenomena were also, uh, um, they asked both a professor, a quite famous professor in psychology, Norwegian, uh, uh, he made a report about these phenomena and he, or his brother is a professor in physics at the University in Oslo and he also was part of that. Uh, and what you saw in that case, um, uh, there, uh, you fir they first had some kind of priest uh, doing his thing, and uh, after that, uh, for a period, the uh, the phenomena went away. But then they came back again and stronger the second time. And then they got a clairvoyant person doing her things. I don't exactly know uh, what kind of rituals <laughs> she did, but but uh, then uh, the thing where uh, what it was uh, was expelled. But uh, it, uh, as I said, I don't know the statistics of this, but the these two professors going deep into this case uh, concluded that there probably were connections between uh, human consciousness and the environment th uh, that has yet to be explored and left it open to future research. So that is my say, main case mm -hmm. of poltergeist. Uh, and that seems to be, uh, you know, it didn't manifest a special kind of ghost having kind of message or there hadn't happened anything very traumatic in this kindergarten as we know of, you know, it was quite modern. It was not a kind of haunted house, typically old with you know, uh, murdered child or anything like that. You know, yeah. it seemed to be a, a kind of modern phenomenon. These also, I to to somehow uh, <laughs> strengthen my case here. I could mention that the uh, Germans' uh, foremost expert on 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 poltergeist that is uh, Professor Walter von Lukadu, and he has two uh, doctoral degrees: one in psychology and one in physics. And he run an office uh, connected to the University of Freiburg, uh, the town of Freiburg. And he got, uh, you know, state salary for his services. And there people could contact him if they had problems with poltergeist. And at least, say, one um, classical case he describes, there was uh, a, a lady that experienced small flames appearing in her flat, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, coming out of uh, the floor on the table and so. And he, as I said, also a doctor in psychology. So uh, he inquired her about her personal life. And she was in a tragic love affair and she was 
burning from jealousy. So uh, he took this to be an exploration of her burning jealousy uh, manifested uh, psychokinetically uh, as these flames. At least this is Walter von Lukadu and he got a double mm-hmm. doctor's degree also. So a- again, I cannot go statistically into this, but it seems to, at least some cases, seems to be uh, uh, reasonable to explain from the psy- psychokinesis uh, model. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with the with the possibility of um, RSPK psychokinesis, mm-hmm. but if we spin that argument uh, the the argument around, mm-hmm. there is then the idea that perhaps we should be considering hauntings in a similar way, we rather should. than looking for the ghost, we should be looking for perhaps a human focus. We should. I mean, we know that in the Phillips case. I mean the Phillips. Uh, yes, experiment. that one. Yes, that's yes. one. Yeah, yeah. That, uh, clearly. Well, that, yeah. I mean that's a, a, that's an absolute one-off. We can't really draw many conclusions from I know, that. I know, you know, but but mm-hmm. but you know, if you take your classic haunted house, um, yes. investigators go in and they are looking for, um, well, <laughs> the classic investigation is looking for an independent entity, a ghost. Mm-hmm. Um, Whereas perhaps the investigation should be looking at the individuals and their experiences and trying to understand if perhaps we're dealing with a focus and a human um, centered series of phenomena. Mm. Yeah, uh, probably. Uh, I, I, as I said, you are the expert for uh, for ghosts, so I will not uh, dare to challenge you in, in that. Uh, but uh, may I just relate a little case from Norway? A friend of mine, he is a healer and he is also clairvoyant, and he was uh, visiting a hotel in, in, in north of Norway. And uh, I think he was staying in room number 315. And uh, during the night, he suddenly uh, awoke and there he saw there was a, a, a fight between two persons going on on the floor in his uh, in his hotel room yeah. and he ob- he observed that fight going on for about half an hour and it ended with one person killing the other person so it was quite dramatic Ooh. and uh, when he was checking out next morning uh, uh, the, the receptionist asked uh, uh, yes thank you for your stay sir have you slept well and uh, he said yes except for the performance i witnessed about uh, three o'clock during the night then and then the receptionist you know with a kind of knowing expression uh, nodded and said okay so you have also seen it so clearly it seems to be a kind of thing you know i don't think that uh, say that fight uh, was happening that night, probably because, uh, as I said, um, there had uh, clearly been others uh, having seen that, and they even made a, a kind of television pro- uh, program uh, where they visited this hotel because of the many hauntings there. Uh, but clearly, this, uh, or at least to my mind, this must have been something that had happened, say, some years, many years ago, and then somehow have been recorded in the space time. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the co- coordinates of that room, a strong emotional impact uh, that the sensitive person would be able to somehow 
replay. It seems to be going on replay. So the consciousnesses of uh, these persons uh, probably were not there. Or, and also there were not any living persons present to, to mm -hmm. somehow create it by their focus, not a conflict the teenager. My friend is a very harmonious person. So, you know, it seems to be a kind of more, say, what we could, I don't know, the hockey plot, you know, just a loop, a tape loop, uh, running and running and running. So, yeah. And at least it seems not to be a kind of entity going on, neither a human focus creating it. Okay. And the, the I mean, there's also another possibility, which uh, Steve and I have talked, discussed before, and that, of course, is, uh, it, perhaps it's another uh, a time, another dimensional time where that has been recorded and, and it's bled through for that particular time there. In other words, if you believe in multiple dimensions yes. and yeah, so I mean, that's another possibility where we think, I mean, Steve is the expert on time slips and he could t talk a little bit, which Steve, would this be a time slip or not? Well, I mean, this this is the the conundrum that we've been discussing over the last few shows, isn't it? Because yeah. time slip, haunting, poltergeist phenomena, they 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 are so interconnected and intertwined in, in terms of the experience and mm. what people report that it's very difficult to to actually label them and pigeonhole them. Uh, for one for you know there are many aspects of a haunting that relate to a time slip or a poltergeist phenomena. Um, what Terry had just described, a fight taking place in a room for 30 minutes. That's a good time. Could, could, <laughs> was it was it an imprinted haunting? Um, this idea that our surroundings can, can capture something that has taken place before. Mm -hmm. Was it a time slip? Did the person experience... Um, you know, was it interactive? Yeah, Did the parents I go understand. back? Did yeah. that person go back and experience mm -hmm. events that took place? Or did the person take something from the environment and recreate the experience mm -hmm. internally in their brain, their consciousness connecting with something within the room? Mm -hmm. um, you know, as, as proposed by, by the, snow, the stone tape and the water tape ideas. Um, Ron, there isn't an answer, and that's why that's why we're looking, and that's why Terry is writing books about it. <laughs> yeah. uh, perhaps that is why he is focused on uh, easy stuff like telepathy yeah. and clairvoyance. <laughs> I, I think, I think, yeah. Um, but then the next question, stemming from the first question, is why did you include some things? Well, you know, uh, that uh, is uh, quite uh, easy to, 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 to uh, you know, people in my family were telling about um, uh, about such phenomena uh, when I was uh, a child. And also I was a member of a Christian youth club then. And uh, some people sp spent quite a lot of time in prayer and they had special experiences. You know, it seems to be kind of manifestation. They, of course, uh, and I also at that time uh, somehow uh, put it under the tab of God, you know, uh, aha, God has answered that prayer. But, you know, um, somehow it became a bit illogical to me uh, over the years because, you know, uh, people could, uh, for instance, get answer to minor requests uh, uh, here in Norway, while we had African friends that have uh, major requests for, say, rain for their the, uh, crops uh, who did not get answer. 
answer, you know. So a god uh, prioritizing uh, a person, say, getting new shoes for a party uh, and not giving the Africans rain for their crops, you know, that would be a strange kind of priority list, I think. So so uh, that also uh, led me to, to study uh, esoteric traditions and magic and later also parapsychology. Uh, and also, as I said, in the, my family, my, my, my uh, I don't think I mentioned that last uh, I, some months ago I, I was on your show. Uh, I didn't don't think I mentioned I can mention my grandfather. He had um, he could uh, he was able to hear my grandmother half an hour before she came home. Um, so he would sit in his uh, living room in a chair reading a newspaper or smoking a pipe or something. And then suddenly he would hear grandmother opening the door in the first floor, coming up the stairs, opening the door to the living room. And there she was not. Uh, but about <laughs> half, yes, uh, about half an hour later, she would come in exactly that way. And my mm. grandmother, she was not, uh, you know, this career woman. She was sometimes chatting with a friend for a couple of hours, then doing some voluntary work in an organization. So she could come home 2, uh, 2 uh, p.m. or 3 p.m. or 4 p.m., even 6 p.m., you know. So it was no, uh, she was not coming home at regular times. Uh, but uh, my grandfather, he was a very, say, down-to-earth person. So uh, when he heard uh, the noise down in, in, uh, in the first floor, he went immediately to the stove, starting to make dinner, because he, from experience, knew that yeah. within half an hour she would be home. Hmm. So, uh, <laughs> and that's, uh, that's a phenomenon. It's, uh, we could call it uh, an auditory, um, a precognitive um, event uh, that is called Vardöger in Norwegian and it's quite often reported by folk, folklorists mm -hmm. in Norway and uh, we had uh, one of the former leaders of the Norwegian Parapsychological Society he was professor in biology uh, and uh, Georg Hugen uh, he uh, have written a book about this because uh, also if you ask sociologists of religion they found uh, that this phenomenon occurs for some reason more often in Norway than in other countries. I don't know why that is, but at least um, that is... Uh, that pressure, is yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh, uh, but when my grandfather, he was a machine engineer and have never set his foot on a, a new age fair or in a kind of Christian community or anything, not a religious man at all, you know. And when he told me such stuff, you know, I had to include it. So um, that is, uh, and later also I found that I myself was very often able to, if I had discussion with persons, I was suddenly I was able to know in advance what a person would say. And it would not be directly related to the theme we were discussing. It, it just came a phrase, uh, a special wording or something, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, two or three seconds later, that person would use exactly that words in in that kind Some of, of order. Yes. So, so you know, I, I, I didn't rush to any conclusion, but... Uh, uh, huh. Oh, that's funny. You know, so many of these phenomena, and uh, I think I mentioned last time, uh, I, I will not repeat too much, but I was going to a date and an old traveler, he told me uh, in advance that this woman I was about to date, which I had never dated before, she was going to be one meter and 64 centimeters tall. And uh, during the date, she told me, I asked uh, very casually uh, how tall she was, and she told me she was one meter and 64 centimeters, you know. So, <laughs> it, you know, 
and lots of that phenomena, you know. So I really just had to do something. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm. And we studying, have, um, yes, here in here in the UK, um, it's interesting you, the experiences of your grandfather because what we call the coming in or the coming home ghost yes. um, is, is not unknown. In fact, um, Rupert Sheldrake has yes. looked at this this phenomena with animals. Yeah. Uh, this, this awareness of pets knowing when their owner um and the skeptics yep. have said well the owner comes home at the same time every day and rupert has, has demonstrated that's you know in many cases that's not true exactly um, but the animal does seem to exhibit this um this behavior and yes. we do have um you know there are i've i've heard uh, first-hand accounts from people who describe experiences exactly the same as your grandfather Yes. Um, we call it the coming home or the coming in ghost, as I said. Mm. Um, so perhaps it is much more common. Perhaps we are connected um, to our loved ones, to our families, to our friends mm. in ways that we, well, we don't understand, do we? I mean, science is still struggling with consciousness. Mm. Um, well, that is where I used a helpful metaphor, I think, of the mental internet. I think we are all connected uh, mm. via this collective consciousness, you know. So, as you said, when you are emotionally connected uh, uh, or, say, uh, close to someone, you you will tend to, 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 to yeah. feel these things much more often. And it's, also, it's, uh, yes. I was going to so, say, it's, it's not unknown for, you know, um, couples, um when they're having a conversation one will, or making suggestions about what to do and you often hear this get out of my head <laughs> right yes yeah. oh, you finish uh, you finish someone else's sentence that's very common Yes, yes. Uh, and also this healer friend of mine, I told you, he who watched this fight in the hotel room, uh, they had a dog and his father was working at uh, at the railway and uh, they, you know, they used to live close to the railway station that were, at least it was like that in rural Norway earlier. You lived some just a couple of hundred meters away from the railway station. So you easily somehow could go down and do stuff if uh, it was needed. Mm. And, and that dog would uh, always, um, you know, uh, because um, trains uh, were coming and going, he had to, I don't know what is the English word for that, you know, where you you somehow close off if a normal road is crossing a railway, you know, ah, you yeah. have to, yeah, you have to. Yeah, you have to say put a kind of roadblock, you know, to, to, to stop yeah, cars. Just a railway crossing. Yeah. Yeah, yes, uh, but the, uh, in older times, these were, were manually, uh, they, they did not go on, on our computers, you know, so he had to physically go down and somehow close off the road. And uh, and uh, when he somehow was going back, the dog would, uh, and he used about 11 minutes from that, uh, say, railway crossing to come home, uh, then uh, the dog would immediately uh, run to the window and stand there and waiting for for him you know so uh, excuse uh, yeah. me for a minute here i am getting a precognizant thing that the producer is trying to reach me i think mentally that we are coming up on break so we do have to take a break anyway uh That's so remarkably perceptive of you Ron. i know thank you uh you're <laughs> listening to ghost chronicles international right here on tojanet and pararex radio and we're all good podcasts to listen to uh, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom 386 Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts the Glant Messier Family Law Group 15 High Street, North End 
Massachusetts and our very good friends at Ghost Chronicles Radio and Patreon. We'll be right back. Welcome to Toginet, radio with a cutting edge. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. second half of the first half of the two-hour ghost chronicles extravaganza this is the international edition and following us will be the next generation and as we're international we have a return visit from a very interesting norwegian guest author of the brief history of nearly everything paranormal but not quite a A short short history history. of nearly everything but not quite everything paranormal (laughs) taria simonson um, and we've got to, for people who are not yet familiar with the book, and there might be one or two still out there, uh, mm-hmm. where can they get the book from? Uh, and I apologize uh, for the title. Amazon would be the most uh, convenient, I think. Yes. And then they can also get a little presentation. And we even have an audio book that is read by an excellent uh, British actor. So they can uh, even uh, get, say, a a little taste of the audio book for free as well. Oh, Uh is that Richard Felix? (laughs) (laughs) Famous British actor. Famous British actor. <laughs> <laughs> do we get a, we get uh, a clue? Do we? Get, are you going to reveal who the famous British actor is? Uh, his name is uh, Robbie. I don't. Uh, he is uh, fa- famous because he has uh, been uh, voicing lots of uh, video games, and he's uh, ah. say he, he's just calls Robbie's voice. You know, so I don't remember his last name, but uh, Robbie's voice is voicing my book, and uh, uh, quite famous because of many video games. Uh, games, and he's really got a beautiful voice. And uh, I selected him from I think it was a pool of uh, eight different uh, actors. Ooh. So uh, yes. And he was ex- expensive as well, you know, but I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very happy with the, the result. Can I, can I ask you a question? You speak English very well. Is Thank that 
is that normal in in Norway, or is it, uh, it or is it just you? Uh, well, you know, we tend uh, we tend to be quite acceptably good in English because we learn it in school from uh, a young age. But you know, uh, pronunciation is difficult because there are some sounds that we don't have. So I have worked a bit on those sounds, you know, uh, perhaps a bit more than the typical Norwegian. But uh, I, I, I really yeah. admire that. I really do because a lot I, better than my Norwegian. Anyway, I, I can't. <laughs> you know, I have trouble with English. Never mind Norwegian. Oh, that's true. He does. He does. He has trouble with. I'm, I'm English. English. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I'm equally. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, wait a minute. I'm equally inept in all languages. You finish? Oh no! You are. You are, I, you are speaking as, as a British person. I have a question to a Norwegian person. Okay. Um, because but, every. And for our, for our American host, I will explain. Every year, Norway yes. sends Britain a Christmas tree. Yes, they uh, do. To, um, as, a, as a, a commemoration of the assistance uh, that we gave one another during the Second World War. That's correct. And I've got to say, the, the Christmas tree you sent us last year, what went wrong with it? <laughs> it had no branches. <laughs> it was like you know, a stick. I, I, I saw, <laughs> I saw, you know, I saw a photograph of it, and it was not perhaps the best it one. But look, uh, no, it wasn't the best one, was it? Uh, we so, thought we uh, defended Norway. <laughs> no, I, 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 I cannot defend that because I saw a photo, as I said. So I, I felt it was a bit, you know, scruffy in a way. But uh, what we, can we I do? We thought so, maybe it was a comment on Brexit or something. And the yeah, we leave the EU. We get this rubbish Christmas tree. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I, well, go ahead. In fact, during the Second World War, my grandfather was in London because he was in the Norwegian resistance and he was coordinating some health services from London. So uh, oh. we had quite a close connections with London. Also, my mother was uh, studying there and uh, my what is was a cousin of my grandmother. She was starting a kind of uh, it's called not this uh, I, uh, YMCA, but the women's mm -hmm. organization. What is that? YWCA. Yes, for, for women. Uh, there is a home in London where you can stay that they organize. And she was somehow the, uh, say, originator of that home. So we have yeah, a, the, the links between the two countries go back a, a millennium. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, do wanna add, than, I do want to add a side note here because we also get a Christmas tree every year from uh, uh, Boston. No, every every Christmas in Boston, uh, the great providence of Canada. Uh, yes. us, they they send us a Christmas tree because of all the the help we gave them in the Great Halifax uh, explosion, which happened. They, they send America a Christmas tree to make sure you lot stay south of the border. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that that's it. That's, so I was wondering: a Christmas tree is a symbol of of something, or is it just uh, Christmas? Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was you great. know in, in, in Norway. The, 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 clue, the clue is in the name, Ron. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> no, but Norway have uh, they have uh, quite uh, large areas with forests. So and it's the special kind of Christmas tree. What is called? It's not. Uh, it's not pine tree, but what is called this uh, type of tree? Uh, fir. It's a spruce, uh, isn't it? Spruce, yeah, yes, spruce, spruce yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and Norway got lots of a forest with spruces, so that's probably why they chose that as kind of Norwegian symbol of gratitude, you know. 
You sent some reindeer too? Uh, it could be. Uh, then we have some uh, Sami people to, uh, to, 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 to herd them as well. So, yeah. But the, the two countries, Britain and Norway, I mean, our, our history is intertwined for more than a millennia. Um, yes. As I was saying before, Ron jumped in. Um, I, think, I think it's about 40% of the British population have Norwegian or Norse genetics. Okay. Um, thanks to the Vikings. I'm, yes, I'm, in, yes. I'm in that group too. Um, when they did those DNA genetic tests, I have Hiberno-Norse blood coursing yes. through my veins. So, um, Interesting. Yeah, I know so many names uh, in, in Britain. You can yeah. find the, the Norse even here, origin. Even here, out in remote West Wales, we have um, several of the islands, Skokum, Gatum, Gatehome, uh-huh. H-O-L-M. Yes, yes, um, yes. From where, I, where I'm from, which was uh, up near... Uh, the city of Liverpool. Uh-huh. The, there was a large Viking community. We have um, Thingwall. Yeah, yeah, which, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, which was a Viking parliament site. Yes. Uh, um, th- thing means parliament. So that's, that's right. Amazing. Yes. Uh, mm, very good. And we have and we have Thor's stone. Well, ah. I, I hate to interrupt this love fest, but can we get back yeah, to the right. book? international part yeah, of the yes place. i know that was sweet of you uh, you know yeah ever since you left your yeah, eu i understand okay uh diplomat you gotta be so anyway uh I'm trying to get a bit of christmas tree that's all yeah okay don't play <laughs> in, in your uh research for the book did you yes. find that there is a a direct connection between for instance remote viewing um, ESP and uh, what was the other one I was thinking of? Oh, psychokinesis. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yes, they seem to be uh, very often linked together. Uh, uh, I have a uh, say. Typically, uh, people will excel either in say clairvoyance or in healing. But many, uh, our for instance, our best healer in Norway, he passed away last year. Uh, I write quite a lot about him in my book Snorsaman. And Snorsa is a little village in Norway, and Snorsaman means the man from Snorsa because he was uh, famous all over Norway and also internationally. He was an excellent healer, which is documented by many many doctors. Uh, they have examined his patient and so and also he was famous as a clairvoyant the police used him uh, also the red cross used him to uh, find people who had been taken by uh, avalanches you know uh, being uh, covered in snow he was able to locate people uh, time and time again uh, sitting in his home and many many miles away you know without so he excelled in both healing and uh, and in um, in clairvoyance. But what seems to be a common denominator, uh, if we are going to be a bit technical, it seems to be brainwave patterns. Because now we are talking, uh, say, in, in informal and, uh, say, more or less fluent way, uh, we are have lots of better waves in our brains. But if you, say, go into, delve into a good book, then you increase uh, the, uh, the, the alpha, uh, the, say, amount of alpha waves in your brain. But if you go even deeper, you go to the 
theta waves. And it seems to be uh, they have tried this in laboratory, you know, measuring brain waves uh, with healing experiments. And so it seems to be a connection. If you are on the theta wave, uh, uh, then this phenomena seems to occur more often. So that could be one, say, uh, physical common denominator between them. And I feel that, you know, it's kind of a frequency of or wavelength, even if you are going to, to use uh, metaphors from uh, radio. So, so I I think that is somehow also, for instance, uh, the shamans, you know, the shaman's drum will often uh, go into the theta wave, uh, say, between five and, and, and seven beats per second. Uh, also, if you're using uh, these tapes or, or, or records or, or tracks with binaural beats, uh, hemisync, for instance, uh, um, uh, so you, you will tend to, uh, say, create more theta waves uh, with the intention of, of say experience more of these phenomena and it seems to be a connection here so uh, I, I will not say conclude definitely but, but uh, from my observation it's uh, yeah the, the, there is a connection here Steve no I was waiting for you to do your follow-up Ron Oh no, that was good. I was I was interesting what he thought of it. That's all. I was not, yeah, I, mm. yeah, yeah. Because you can uh, you, uh, quite f most famous, I think, must be these silver courses. Uh, uh, it was uh, developed by by uh, uh, I think it was Mexican uh, radio technician living in the USA. Uh, uh, he developed courses where you are going. There he used mostly alpha then. But uh, say the deeper you go, uh, or in the, say more slow. The frequency of, of, the, of the brain waves, the more easy it seems to be to somehow experience these phenomena. Uh, if you go really d down deep into, into the delta, then you are in the, more or less in the deep dreamless, uh, uh, you know, dreamless state. And probably then somehow you are more or less, uh, say, decoupling from individual consciousness and therefore is not able to somehow observe what you are experiencing in a way. So that might uh, be, say, suboptimal to go all too deep also. But it's, it's a kind of, a, if you have a beach, you know, uh, it's very often in dream symbolism, you have the beach and uh, uh, on the, the land is somehow a symbol of the consciousness and, uh, and the sea is a symbol of, of the unconsciousness. And the beach is where consciousness and subconscious uh, meet. Uh, and I think also if you are in alpha and, and, and uh, theta waves, then you tend to somehow have an intersection between these deep forces, uh, mainly unconscious, and your personal consciousness being able to uh, observe and even use some of these forces. Excuse the pun, but I mean, this entirely resonates with my infrasound research oh. because one of the areas that i've speculated about is how infrasound causes the paranormal like effects on people it, I'm, I'm i don't mean the physiological effects that we do we can measure and we can we mm. can see the effects on the on the body mm. but the but the the psychological effects that people report from infrasound exposure and the frequencies are not dissimilar from from the ah. different brain waves and if you subject people to these frequencies, uh, not only does it directly affect things like the heart rate, um, mm. it slows down the heart, but it does or we there are no definitive measurements to that we can point to to demonstrate it. But it does seem to 
attuned with the brain and the brain's mm. operations and may cause people to experience altered states of consciousness, enhancing dreamlike states or enhancing trance-like states. Mm. Um, so it does absolutely resonate with me. That's beautiful to hear. And also, you probably know of this uh, Canadian uh, psychiatrist. He's passed away, uh, Michael uh, Persinger, uh, oh, Michael yeah, Persinger. Yeah. Yes, yes, with a god helmet and all. So he yep. used ma magnetic fields, and you can use mm -hmm. sound, like, uh, like uh, this infrasound and the shamans, you know. So it seems to you can uh, what is called the frequency following response of the brain. Uh, so you can somehow entrain the, the the brain with with different means uh, to. Mm -hmm get it into this kind of uh, trance-like state where these phenomena, uh, it seems to facilitate uh, the appearance of these phenomena. I've got, I've got to put a caveat in there with the, with Persinger and the God Helmet in that uh, his, his results have been challenged and mm -hmm. most notably by, um, by you. researchers at Uppsala University mm -hmm. uh, okay. over in Sweden. Um, uh, what is the name of the researcher there? I know. Uh, uh, I'd have I'd have to grab the. Uh, it would take me before okay, the end. Of no the, problem. No problem. But it was a, it, the, there was a paper published um, by Uppsala University who were using another god helmet. I think <coughs> it was actually one supplied by Persinger. Okay. Um, and they they reached the conclusion that the results were more likely um, mm -hmm. to be the results of um, expectation. Okay. And and preloading of the pump by the research by the experiment itself okay um but if I may uh, bring in a perspective from another, there is this uh, Australian psychiatrist, uh, mm -hmm. Schneider, Alan Schneider, and he is somehow using magnetic field. He used equipment from Denmark, I think, uh, uh, you know, to, to uh, magnetic field to uh, what we can say, uh, introduce a savant-like state, uh, mm -hmm. this uh, uh, extremely gifted autists, uh, you know, like Rain man in, in the film oh, yeah, with yeah. Dustin Hoffman, yes. And this is Alan Snyder, and he has successfully introduced, uh, in, uh, induced these states, uh, say, savant-like states, where you are able to remember you're flying in a helicopter over London, being able to uh, remember the number of windows uh, on big buildings and uh, all that kind of uh, impossible stuff uh, that is uh, not uh, normal people uh, within the scope of normal people. And uh, also saw a journalist he was uh, testing out uh, this equipment uh, of Alan Snyder and he felt also he became, uh, you know, uh, he was not good at a drawing usually, but uh, after having a treatment or what we should call it, being exposed to the yeah. equipment of Snyder, he was able to draw much better in uh, the kind of, he was not totally transformed into an artist, you know, but, but uh, there seems to be uh, gears in consciousness that have been changed. So yes. he was able to better, say, uh, draw than he was uh, under usual circumstances. I think it lasted one or two days or some, and mm -hmm. then he yes. was back to normal. So it's not only Persinger using uh, electromagnetic No, it's fields. not only Persinger. No. And, and no. in fact, you know, this, this idea of using um, frequencies and sounds mm. and, um, you know, external subliminal um, influences to aid learning or to aid um, memory is has mm. been around for well since 
since the 60s because you know way a way back um you know in the 60s 70s you could buy yes. cassettes that you could put on at night mm. by the side of the bed and mm. you would wake up in the morning and pass your exam and I'm not talking about the ones that just repeat the answers over and over, but there were ones that played whale song and sound and mm. and they're still available today for meditation and for, for healing and for Yes. For... And one of the most famous researchers in Eastern Europe in this field you are describing now, this was Professor Georgi Lotsanov. And he also was a famous researcher within parapsychology. And I met him in Norway and we discussed some parapsychological experiments because he felt it was very closely related to this mm. because they uh, both the paranormal and these say savant abilities, these autistic abilities were linked to, to how, uh, say, which gear the brain functioned yeah. in. So I, yeah. I, I described my meeting and some of his uh, just briefly his theories in my book also. Yeah, I, and again, resonating with the infrasound research because one of the directions that you know are, are being considered is whether the sound, the infrasound exposure. Mm. I talked about altered states, but is it making people more perceptive to different experiences to to allow phenomena to take place? I'm quite convinced. Rather it. than it creating phenomena. You know, we, mm. we know it, it creates physiological changes within the body systems, mm. but we don't yet know what it's doing to the brain. Mm. Now, you know, but my view of consciousness is, as some uh, I mentioned, the mental internet, my view of consciousness is that it's not created by the brain. It's more filtered by the brain, uh, 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 the metaphor, the mental internet. So mm. the simple metaphor is, of course, that our brains is, uh, are more or less like computers, which are logged on to this mental internet. So, mm. uh, so uh, say the right frequency in the brain will somehow... Uh, uh, facilitate downloading uh, of information from this field, which mean the clairvoyance or even sending messages, mm -hmm. uh, which will uh, equal uh, telepathy then. So, so, um, uh, so the brain is, of course, extremely important. Uh, otherwise, we would not be logged on to consciousness, just as without a tablet or a PC or a mobile phone, you would not be logged yeah. on to yeah. the internet. So, but you cannot say uh, they are they are not the same, but uh, our ability to perceive the internet or to perceive the mental internet, the collective consciousness, of course, depends on uh, on the brain and and the conditions in the brain. Mm -hmm. I, I have a question about what you just said. So, our brain is basically a computer that connects into this mental consciousness, or conscious or whatever internet, right, whatever it is. Uh, so, does that mean that we really don't exist, that we only exist in this conscious net that you're talking about, this conscious internet. And so that all we're doing is is connecting to the who we are in this conscious internet. It's an extremely profound question because if you're taking in perspectives from reincarnation, for instance, they would say also the old esoteric traditions, if you take the Jewish Kabbalah, for instance, they have several several levels of consciousness. Uh, we have uh, what we are, uh, say, the normal 
ego uh, that would be nefesh or something like that and then you have uh, ruach which means spirit it's one level higher and then you have an even higher level it's called neshama uh, that would never uh, really incarnate at all it it is transcendent from uh, the different uh, reincarnations so if you take in the karmic perspectives of course i d- do not say that these are real but somehow it's an old model at least so uh, i i cannot answer that uh, some phenomena seems to be more easy explained uh, from the perspective of reincarnation uh, but others it can it can be also explained as we I remember now we discussed last time can be uh, explained also from from this uh, merely say collective consciousness which is not necessary to right. bring in reincarnation if I suddenly start uh, for instance I will give you a close example to me a friend of mine his brother when he was six years old um, he started uh, at the breakfast table he started he, to tell uh, he uh, had been living about 1840 in a city close i'm living in a small town uh, coastal town called mandal and the big capital in south of norway here it's called christiansand it's about uh, 40 kilometers uh, eastwards here and he suddenly started to tell he was uh, had been living in 1840 in this other christiansand uh, and he had been uh, married to a woman uh, called ula <laughs> that was her nickname wow. and uh, and each day each morning he started to f- tell episodes from his say uh, cohabitation with uh, Ula in 1840 in Christiansand and uh, it developed quite uh, say dramatic because there started to appear conflicts and eventually I will have to, to be honest with what he told so it ended by him shooting Ula with uh, a gun you know Mm. And uh, and he also described the house where they lived and the frontal, uh, the, the door and special, you know, decorations and everything. And uh, about after a month, he suddenly stopped telling about that and never talked about Ula or living in this other town about 1840 again. So what was that? We did not go, of course, it's extremely tempting, but it's also extremely uh, laborious to go to all these uh, old registers. Did, in fact, uh, live a person that, that killed some other? Uh, do we know the nickname of this woman that eventually was killed? Uh, uh, which house did they live in? How, uh, have you some old photographs mm-hmm. of the house from that time and all that? That a proper researcher like Ian uh, Stevenson or, or, or Jim Tucker would do, of course. Uh, I have not taken the labor to do that. But that could be explained, of course, from a real reincarnation, but it also could be explained from the collection Active consciousness that the information is stored there and children very often being open-minded now not having a prejudice what is possible and what is not possible and after sleep you know probably being in a kind of a limit state between uh, wake and and, and dreaming you know uh, being open to impressions more than uh, say at school or at play and he downloaded perhaps the information about this dramatic uh, event or it could be of course free fantasy we don't know that either but at least these three models could immediately be applied to this case Mm -hmm. yeah i I think it's fascinating Uh, as steve knows i'm not a a big fan of uh, reincarnation but uh yeah uh you don't believe in it i remember yeah (laughs) (laughs) he's gonna come back he's gonna come back as a plant 
<laughs> I have a friend who is a Buddhist and uh, every time he does not something uh, that is not uh, extremely nice or something, he's a very nice man. But uh, when he does something, I say he will be reincarnated as a rat <laughs> and then he starts to behave. <laughs> so. Taria, we uh, we are coming up to the end and Ron has a final word, uh, yeah, but a it's, new it's, addition well, to the show. But I was going to yeah. go back and ask how people can... Um, there we go. Tell oh, us yeah. about tell us uh, the title of the book so I don't get it wrong, and just a reminder of where people can get it from. Y- yes, the book's name is a short history of uh, nearly everything paranormal, and uh, the subtitle is Our Secret Powers, Telepathy, Clairvoyance, and Precognition. And my name is Tarja G. Simonson. Tarja G. Simonson. And, and it is easily found on Amazon. And I would recommend um, people go get a copy because it's an excellent addition to any paranormal or indeed people who are interested in, in broader aspects surrounding the paranormal. Fantastic addition to the library bookshelf. I will also uh, boast a bit and say it has uh, won two literary awards, non-fiction awards in the US, and one is the quite prestigious uh, Parapsychological Association Book Award, uh, which normally is uh, given to um, see preeminent psychologists and 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 their work. So so uh, I'm well, quite congratulations. Quite... But unfortunately, we do have to go. So we're going to say goodbye to you right now. Thank you so much for being on the show. Okay. Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you, Taria. I'll talk to you soon, no doubt. Okay. Well, he was interesting, Steve, huh? Yeah. So are you going to have a final word? I am. For our so, listeners. Oh, this, is our, this is our new section, ladies and gentlemen. Um, are you introducing we, it? Good, good. We, we used to bicker and argue over who would get the last word. I and, solved that problem, didn't I? And Ron solved that problem <laughs> because tonight and every show from now on, Ron's going to have the final okay. word. Here you go. So our final word comes from Saki, a British writer, Steve. And uh, his final words were, put out the bloody cigarette. And uh, he said that to a fellow officer in the trenches in World War I for the fear that the smoking would give away their position. He was then shot dead by a German sniper who heard his remark. And that's the final word. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us good law.